You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. Lots of ground to cover on today's show. We are scheduled to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, uh, right at the start of the 2 o'clock hour. And, of course, lots of questions that we're going to ask him, including you know, some of the challenges and some of the positions that his would-be potential Democrat opponents are staking out and where he stands on them. I think it's very, very clear that you're going to have, when you go to the polls this November, regardless of who emerges from the Democratic primary on August 9th, you're going to have a stark contrast in world views and national views, and we're going to explore that. Again, Senator Johnson scheduled to be with us at the very start of the 2 o'clock hour. All right, I want to tell you a story to begin the program about a 17-year-old girl. Her name is Avery Sawinski. Now, if you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I have I have expressed concern or at least skepticism about whether in this country we are ready to move to electric cars. And I understand that that's the big push in the Biden administration. We're actually going to segue into something bigger about the Biden administration and climate concerns in just a few minutes. But I, I just my point is, at some point in time, the market the free market will make electric cars a desirable sort of thing. We'll we'll get to a point where their cost comes down so that they're competitive. We'll get to an issue with a point where you know you can get replacement parts and you can get the vehicle serviced. We'll get to a point where the batteries can sustain a charge long enough to make it really practical, for example, to take the cars on longer drives. We'll get to a point maybe where the recharging will be fast enough so you don't have to, assuming you can even find a place to recharge them, you don't have to sit around and wait for a couple hours while the thing recharges. We will, I'm confident, get to that point at some point in time. But we're not close to it now, which is why, for me, I just don't think electric cars are, are practical. And then there's stories like this. Avery Sawinski, 17-year-old girl, um, lives in Florida. What happened is um, about like uh, about a year ago or so, she purchased, with the help of her parents, she spent $11,000 on a used Ford Focus electric car, 2014 model. So it, it's not... I mean, it's not like it's ancient. It's a 2014 used Ford Focus electric car. Had 60,000 miles on it when she bought it. All right, 11 grand. And you're thinking, oh, this is great. I mean, it's got 60,000 miles on it. I'll, I should be able to get, you know, a lot more use out of it, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so she has it, drives the car for a couple months, and everything's fine. Then all of a sudden... The car starts giving her all sorts of problems, and the dashboard starts lighting up like a Christmas tree, flashing all these different symbols. She says, hey, it was fine at first. I loved it so much. It was small. It was quiet. It was cute. And then all of a sudden, it stopped working. Huh. Well, you know, why Why did it stop working? Well, she takes it to the repair shop to find that. And first of all, they say, here's the problem. 
your battery has has crapped out. Your battery has died in your $11,000 Ford Focus from 2014. And she, oh, well, well, that's not good. Well, okay, let's, I mean, batteries, I guess, die. Let's, let's, let's replace the battery. And then they told her to replace the battery in the 2014 Ford Focus that she paid $11,000 for the entire car. To replace the battery would be $14,000. $14,000. Her grandfather, apparently her, her father, while this is all going on, her, her father passed away um, due to colon cancer. So now the grandfather, the grandparents are stepping in, and the grandfather says, yeah, we, we went to the, the dealership, and they said it's only going to cost us $14,000 for a car that you only paid $11,000 for you know, a couple months earlier. If it is possible, it gets worse. So the grandfather says, well, okay, we're, we're sitting there debating, you know, do you put $14,000 into this 2014 car that we've already paid $11,000 for? And, you know, if we had known this would be the situation, well, you know, if we had twenty five grand, we could have bought a much, purchased a much different car. It gets worse because even if, so they're like, okay, we're going to go ahead. We'll spend the fourteen grand. We'll replace the battery, and then presumably the car will, you know, last forever. All right. There's a problem. So they said, okay, we're we're ready to go. We want to buy the battery. At that point in time, the Ford dealer said, okay, well, we've got a problem, and the problem is that that vehicle, that model, that twenty fourteen Ford Fusion electric vehicle, has been discontinued. And that there's no batteries that are available anymore. They, they don't make the batteries for that car, and apparently they don't have any batteries available. So even if they wanted to drop the $14,000 to replace the battery on the 2014 used car, they can't because they don't make the batteries anymore and they are not around. Uh, the girl says, we found out the batteries weren't available, so it didn't matter. They could cost twice as much, as so we still couldn't get it. So the bottom line of this is, you know, this girl, you know, with the help of her parents and grandparents, you know, buys this $11,000 used electric car. That's it's, it's only, it's a 2014, you know, it's a 2014, so it's eight years old, but still. And now it turns out that because the battery has gone bad, they... Even if they wanted to spend all the money to do it, they couldn't because it doesn't exist. So now they effectively have an $11,000 paperweight. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I bring these stories up as cautionary tales because I know maybe you're driving an electric car and maybe you absolutely love it. And maybe you've had no problems at all with this and, it, and it's great. I just don't think for a lot of people... The technology is there yet to replace the internal combustion engine and gasoline-driven automobiles. And it might be at some point in time. And like I say, maybe that's five years, maybe that's 10 years, maybe that's 20 years. But I'm willing to bet that when, especially you, you buy one of these used vehicles, you're, you're not really thinking about, gee, what happens if the battery dies? And how much is it going to be to replace it? And, oh, by the way, am I even going to be able to do it? I'm sorry. These are some of the reasons why I'm just not at all prepared to buy an electric vehicle at this point in time. 855-616-1620. How, how about you? I mean, is the technology there that you think these things are now practical for everyday drivers? The, the percentage of 
cars, electric vehicles, it's going up slightly. It's 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 less than ten percent, and my my guess is it might continue to climb a little bit, but. These just aren't ready for prime time, at least in my opinion, yet. 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620. See, this is a cautionary tale. We get all this hype about electric vehicles, and you've got the Biden administration pushing these. The the story out of Florida, a 17-year-old girl with help from her family buys a 2014 Ford Fusion electric vehicle. All right. She drives it for a couple months and then the battery craps out effectively. First, they tell her now she paid 11 grand for the car. They tell her the battery to replace the battery. It's going to cost 11, uh, 14 thousand dollars, 14 grand. So now you're sitting there saying, OK, do we <laughs> that, that's 20, we're in for twenty five thousand bucks if we go ahead and do it. And then they tell her, well, never mind, because the model's been discontinued. They don't have any of these batteries around They're, They don't exist anymore. So effectively, the 17 year old has a well, she's, she's got an eleven thousand dollar paperweight. And we don't talk about that. And that's why I we're just I just do not believe for overall use use in the general public, as opposed to something like like a novelty to spin around town in, especially for people that have got lots of money. I, I just don't think these are ready for prime time. Jeff, my cousin has a Tesla 2018 and the battery took a crap. It was twenty two thousand dollars to replace the batteries. Thankfully, he paid for an extended warranty. He said moving forward, the extended warranty is always going to be something he has to have with an electric vehicle. Yeah, okay, so that's 2018, so the battery dies within three or four years, and they want $22,000 to replace the battery. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I appreciate the cautionary tale because my hang-up on electric cars was kind of like the infrastructure is not in place, you know, and I guess I was thinking about, you know, driving long distances, but wow, hearing those two stories, I mean, obviously the technology's not there. If it's going to go, the battery's going to go bad, it's going to be that expensive. It's certainly not economical to get an electric car right now. Um, I mean, obviously you're going to save money on gas, but to spend 22000 on a battery, you know, three, four years after you buy a car for probably 80000 I don't know. I mean, the math probably is not... Uh, yep. On the side of electric cars right now. Well, and also, Mike, a, a number of our texters are pointing out that to dispose of an electric battery, so let's say the, the one goes bad and then you have to buy a new one, apparently there's a $2,500 charge to dispose of that because there's all these environmental issues that come with it. So, I mean, you know, let's say you're, you're in, you bought that Tesla. Let's say you didn't get the extended warranty. So $22,000 for the new battery and an extra $2,500 to get rid of the old battery. Talk about insult to injury. Yeah, well, thank goodness you're hearing uh, this because uh, I hadn't even thought about that. No, no, thanks. Well, again, and, and if people want to make this choice, it, it's fine. But we don't talk about the downsides. Jeff, according to Bloomberg, 25% of vehicles will be electric by 2025. I think they're absolutely nuts. Yeah, I, I just think that's the the thing. Jeff, I don't think electric vehicles are cool or a status symbol of any kind. You're going to have to drag me kicking and screaming to purchase one, and I hope it's not 30 years if it's ever. Um, yeah, I mean, there there's no question about that sort of stuff. Jeff, with the current heat wave, the electric grid will be stretched to the limit. Could have rolling brownouts. What would be that like if it, we all drove electric cars? Well, yeah, that's... That's, I mean, that's the other key thing. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people just 
don't realize that we're, we're used to just kind of like throwing that switch and, and all of a sudden all the lights come on and stuff like that. You know, where is the electric power going to come from? And, and can you imagine if a significant percentage of people were depending on that electricity to charge their cars. Now, I think there's other, like I said, there's bigger issues as well to this, and including, you know, they... All right, so we drove back from Florida, what, a couple months ago, and, you know, you stop and you pull off the road and you go to the gas station and, you know, you go get a cup of coffee and you go to the bathroom. By the time you come out, you know, that the car is filled with gas and you're back out on the road again. You know, even if you get charging stations along the road, how long is it going to take these cars? Are people going to sit and wait a half hour or an hour, even if they can find a charging station for the car to charge so they can keep driving? I, I just don't think that that's a practical thing. Now, like I say, maybe at some point in time, the technology will get to the point where, you can get a relatively quick charge, and the things can run for 500 miles. The other issue, of course, is you know different usages drain the batteries at different times. The the amount of of mileage you're going to get driving in Wisconsin in January when it's five degrees below zero is, is a lot less than you're going to get if you're driving in in Dallas, Texas, or you're driving in Tampa, Florida. I just my point is we we don't think about all these things. It's all this pie in the sky stuff. Oh, isn't this going to be wonderful until you deal with with, I think, what the reality is. Let's talk to uh, Brian. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, as far as your concerns about electric vehicles, the technology, for the most part, is already here. Um, you can get buy a vehicle if you're willing to spend the money um, for a 350-mile range. That's better than what my gasoline vehicle gets now. Uh, I get maybe half that. Um, secondly, you, you only get wait. You only get a hundred. You get you only get, wait 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 wait. Brian, Brian, you only get a hundred and fifty miles per tank of gas. What are you driving at that? A tank? What? what, what seventy-five. You get you can only you only get a hundred and seventy-five uh, miles on a tank. That's, what, because what? that's because that's where I the way I have to drive, the area I have to drive in. It's a lot of stop and go. If it was straight through, I would get a lot better gas mileage. What kind? Of, I'm, I'm I'm curious. What not, kind of what kind of vehicle you heard, you're driving? I've never heard of a car that you can only get 175 miles out of a tank of gas. What kind of car do you drive? Dodge Journey, 2017 Dodge Journey. Wow, wow. When okay. I when I drove drove to South Dakota or Tennessee, I got 35 miles to the gallon, but there was no stop and go. Okay. When I do a lot of city driving, I get worse mileage, like any vehicle today. They don't build vehicles for good gas mileage today. Okay. I, my, my point, I've just um, never heard of anybody only getting 100, unless you're driving a, a, a <laughs> unless unless you're driving a, like a, a giant, you know, Winnebago or something. I've never heard of somebody only being able to get 175 right. miles for a tank um, of gas. But okay. I'm, I'm sorry. You're, you're, there's I'm, a lot of vehicles who don't get gas mileage today. Okay. Um, Secondly, as, as far as uh, charge time, you get about 80% in about 30 minutes for most vehicles. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes is not a long time when you consider you go get something to eat, you, you, you pick up groceries for the trip, what have you. Well, um, I, I guess, I mean, Brian, I I've think... never seen anyone leave the, the uh, gas pump plugged into their vehicle and pumping gas when they go to... to do the same. You can't do that because well, one, 
uh, the tenant, the gas attendants won't let you leave the oh, vehicle. Okay, well, Brian, I here. I mean, thanks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We just have a different worldview. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I okay. So we're driving back from Florida. My wife and I. We pull into the gas station. Um, we get out of the car. She runs into the bathroom. I'm I'm filling the gas tank up because we've got the dog in the back of the car. I don't want to leave the dog unattended. So she goes in the bathroom, comes out, takes her a couple minutes. I run in, come back to the bathroom. By the time we're all done with that, it it's certainly less than five minutes, no more than ten, and and we're back out on the road again. No, I no, I don't want to wait thirty minutes. I, I don't want to wait thirty minutes to get an eighty percent charge. I just don't think in the real world that that is a practical sort of thing. And again, if 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 that's your thing, that that's okay. But for anybody to suggest that we are at a point now where electric vehicles are ready for mass use for most normal people in their use. Now, look, I I understand. I I have a friend who's got a a really high-end Tesla, and he's got it in his place in Florida, and it's great. They they use it to to spin around, you know, town. That's that's great. Hey, going out to dinner, that's great. We're going to take the vehicle. Going over to the golf course, we're going to take the vehicle. And they keep it in, I don't know, maybe a 20 or 25-mile radius around the area. And it works absolutely fine, and I appreciate it. But what it is, it's a very, very expensive kind of play toy. I just don't think for most average people, we're close to being ready for, again, the electric vehicles. But if you want to spend the money and you want to do it, it's fine. But again, I bring this up as this cautionary tale. I'm willing to bet that the gal who bought the... You know, the 2014 Ford electric vehicle, you know, maybe she figured that it was going to be some maintenance issues, but I, I, I guarantee you it never occurred to her that six months in when the battery dies and even if you had the money to replace the battery, which would cost more than the whole purchase of the car cost, you can't do it because they don't make them. Just word to the wise, if you're willing to take these risks, that that's fine, but... Okay, one final thought. I don't mean to pick on our last caller, but but he was telling me that he he drives a 2017 Dodge Journey, and he can only get 175 miles on a, on a tank of gas, which struck me as being really really odd. I, I mean, I mean, I guess I could maybe see that if you're driving a giant Winnebago. So a number of you are waiting in. The 2017 used Dodge Journeys have a fuel tank capacity of 20.5 gallons, so you can put 20 gallons in it. The EPA mileage estimate. Um, a city highway is 19 to 25. So let, let's let's say let's say 20 miles a gallon, just for the sake of argument. Um, they estimate the EPA estimates the range that he should be getting is somewhere between 389 and 512 miles on a tank of gas. So I guess my only comment would be. There, there must be something else going on in the car if you're only getting 175 miles a gallon. I, I don't mean to mock it. I'm just saying that makes it didn't make any sense to me. And if you look at the numbers, it doesn't seem to make sense anyway either. And so I, I think I stand by my comment that as a general rule, the, the electric vehicles, um, they're, they're not getting the same sort. They don't go as far. Um, as the other vehicles do. And as far as people who, yeah, what's the big deal? You know, you're, you're driving across the country. You want to stop and wait a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour to charge the car. Um, many of you are with me. It's like, no, you, you want to get where you're going. You're not going to sit around and wait for the charge to go up. E.T. Phone Home. 
All right, Tony Evers, who is raising a bunch of money in his re-election campaign, he's also spending a, a bunch of money for how much money he's made. And I made this point last week, how much money he's raised. It, it, you, you look at how much he has cash on hand, and the, the bur- what they call the burn rate is remarkably high. But, but he's raising money. But here's the uh, report, E.T. phoning home, Steven Spielberg. The Hollywood director, best known maybe for Jaws, Jurassic Park, E.T., and a variety of others, um, he has apparently donated $20,000, which is the most an individual can contribute to a statewide candidate in Wisconsin under the law. He has donated $20,000 to the Evers campaign. On top of that, his wife, Kate Capshaw, who's probably, she's probably best known for the second Indiana Jones movie, um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, she was the, the love interest to Harrison Ford. So um, she's probably best known for that. She also donated $20,000 to the Evers campaign. So Evers, he's big in Hollywood, no, no doubt about that. That's $40,000 from Steven Spielberg and his wife, as uh, obviously Hollywood's decided they want to play in the Wisconsin governor's race, and they're doing that in a big way. Okay, you know, we were talking about electric vehicles in the first segment of the program, and I want people to understand, I I would never buy one myself. I, I just wouldn't. I don't think the technology is there at all. If people decide they want to do it, I, I have no problem with it. But I think you need to go in, you know, with, with your eyes open. And I think it's also very, very clear that right now they are not ready. Electric vehicles in general are not ready for, for prime time. It, it will probably come at some point in time. But but this this war that we are um, engaging on on energy sources and this push that we want to go green, we're just not flat out ready for that. And I think, you know, you were seeing that over the last month or two when you had gas prices spike. And I appreciate it's good that they're going down, but I'm sorry. I'm not going to celebrate that gas is four thirty eight a gallon. Do I like that better than gas at $5.20 a gallon? Absolutely. But it's not a cause for, for celebration at this point in time. Talk to me when we're back around $2.50, and I'll say that's fine. All right. But it's getting worse, not better. For... Well, since he's been running for uh, since he was running for office, Joe Biden ha- has gone completely over to what I'm going to call the the green agenda. You know, he's he's had his war on fossil fuels. He he's tried decided to make the big oil companies and stuff they're they're the villains. You're not pumping enough. You're not drilling enough. But this is the same guy who says he wants to put them out of business in the next five to ten years. So, gee, you're, if you're a business person and you've got the government, the president of the United States, saying he wants to put you out of business, but then he's yelling at you because you're not investing millions and millions and millions of, in new refineries or whatever, there, there's sort of a, a disconnect that you get from people who have been creatures of government their entire life and, and don't understand how things operate. In addition to that, you know, around the country, we're, we're looking at rolling back blackouts. Why? Because there has been a conscious effort to move away from nuclear power. 
There is a conscious effort to move away from coal power. There is a conscious effort to move away from natural gas and to try to push wind and solar, which are all good things, but they're niches. They're they're just, you do not generate enough wind power or solar power to do anything other than just kind of like nibble around the edges. And now you've got these demands with the war in Ukraine and the whole problems with Europe. You know, there is a, a global energy shortage as we try to boycott Russia. So that that's the reality. So we are, at least in my opinion, in a time where we need to be doing everything we can to encourage the production of every type of energy we can. And that is nuclear. That is coal. That is drill, baby, drill. Let's get the natural gas out of the ground, etc. Well, that conflicts with Joe Biden, his climate agenda. So Joe Biden has been trying to push Congress to adopt his um, his green agenda, which would significantly curtail the ability of oil companies to drill, which would impose added taxes on companies. It would be an effort to try to force the economy to move from fossil fuels to renewable energy whether we're ready to do that or or not. He hasn't been able to get it through the legislature. He doesn't have the votes to push this along. And the, the climate agenda, the package of laws that he's been trying to get through, it came to a screeching halt late last week when you got no support from Republicans and at least one Democrat senator, that's Joe Manchin in West Virginia, said he wasn't going to sign on to this. So the climate agenda legislatively is dead. You, you can't, he doesn't have the votes right now to get it through. And of course, this is panicking, panicking at least a lot of the, the people who are pushing for all this because there's a very, very good chance that the Democrats are going to lose control of the House and maybe the Senate this coming November. So here's the story. Having, and this is the aspect of this that I want to talk to you about. Having had the legislative agenda fail, he can't get, he does not have enough votes to get the laws changed. Here's the story in the Washington Post. Biden could declare climate emergency as soon as this week. President Biden is considering declaring a national climate emergency as soon as this week as he seeks to salvage his environmental agenda in the wake of stall talks on Capitol Hill. So he hasn't been able to get the laws through. He can't get the legislature to do what he wants. So apparently he is now saying, I am going to just say, what the heck? Who cares if I can't get this legislation done? I am going to take it upon myself. I am going to declare a climate emergency. Now, emergencies to me, national emergencies, what what is that? That's, okay, at at a time of war. You know, the Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, and you've got to figure out a way to get steel production so you can build battleships that you put to the Pacific. Um, Maybe a national emergency is a terrorist attack on on 9-11. We have terrorists that are flying planes into big buildings. Okay, that is a national emergency, and we need to be able to bypass Congress to do things like that. Maybe 
Maybe, okay, all of a sudden we get hit by the, this this awful new disease. You know, what do we call it? We're going to call it COVID. All right, so maybe, you know, that's an emergency. People are getting sick all over. So maybe we need to bypass, you know, legislative ways in order to, like, deal with the emergency situation that's been thrust on us because nobody recognized that we were going to get COVID that much and that quickly. But a climate emergency and give me a break. This is it is a policy. It seems to me it is a policy issue. It is something that has been and continues to be debated. It's not an emergency. It's just a situation where Joe Biden can't get enough people to agree with him to pass his legislation. So now we're going to call it an emergency and we're going to do well what we otherwise can't do with enough votes. So what would a climate emergency do? I'm I'm looking at one of these things. Here's the thing. It would if if Biden would do this, he would take on the power to without approval from Congress halt crude oil exports, stop oil and gas drilling on the continental shelf, restrict international trade, restrict private investment in fossil fuels. Um, It goes on and on. Um, Build uh, resilient and distributed renewable energy systems in climate-vulnerable communities, and and the list goes on and on. And, And maybe Maybe you think these are worthwhile. Maybe you agree with me and think that a lot of these are pie-in-the-sky sort of stuff. But but it's the president saying, to heck with the legislature. I'm just going to do this because they're not doing what I want. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Regardless of how you feel about the climate, regardless of how you feel about whether we should have atomic energy, um, expanding that or whether we should be drilling offshore or, or pipelines or whatever. That's not the issue. The issue is we apparently have a president who is prepared to act as a king and use this idea of I'm going to call it an emergency, even though it's not an emergency, even though it's a policy that he can't get passed. So he's going to pol- call it an emergency and then try to act as as a king. And look, Trump did this on occasion. Obama did it a lot. It was wrong when Trump did it. It was wrong when Obama did it. And it's scary when Biden does it. There's a lot of talk about the January 6th committee, about what Trump was doing was like a coup, you know, trying to stay in power. This this is its own version of a coup where you have an elected president frustrated that he can't get his policies through because people don't agree with him, who just decides he's going to do it anyway. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's no basis to declare a climate emergency. And if Joe Biden wants to get his legislation through, what he needs to do is he needs to go out on the campaign trail. We've got elections that are coming up in a couple months, and he needs to elect more Democrats in the House and the Senate who agree with him. And then he can get it through the normal legislative process. Otherwise, what you have is effectively you have your own version of a coup where you have a president pretending to be king. 855-616-1620. What do you think? couple of texters saying, well, Trump tried to do the same thing. Yes, I just said that. And Obama did it as well. You have these presidents, and it's scary. And, and yes, it is, it is this idea that 
presidents begin to think that they are kings. And, and this is just one of the most dramatic situations. Biden's been pushing this, this super green climate agenda f- since, since he ran for office. He doesn't have the support in the legislature to get it through. So now the report is this week he's going to declare a climate emergency and then just by, by like executive fiat try to impose all these things on the American economy, on businesses that he doesn't have the authority to do, but he's going to call it an emergency. It's not an emergency. Emergencies, like I say, Japanese attack Pearl Harbor, terrorists attack, you know, buildings, you know, on on 9-11. Maybe, you know, you can even argue that the the pandemic was was an emergency that authorized short-circuiting certain things. But this isn't an emergency in that sense. It is a policy debate that the president has lost thus far. Now, I understand that there's frustrations. His base is upset. I just pulled out the uh, the poll numbers, and, and these these are dreadful. Uh, I guess I'd have to compare Trump's numbers at a similar time, but I, I, they got to be. Biden's have to be worse. I mean, just I'm looking at the last approval ratings, the last eight polls that came out. And in general, well, let's just take the New York Times, not a conservative source at all. Their poll has 33% approving Joe Biden, 60% disapproving. That's here underwater by 27 points. CNBC, their most recent poll, approval rating 36%, disapprove 57%. That's a 21% difference. That's that's really, really bad. <laughs> and and that's, that's pretty much consistent. You can't find, well, you can't really find any poll that's less than mid-double digits. And so Biden sees his popularity is crumbling. So in an effort to try to, I, I think, appease some of his base, he's going to just decide, well, the legislature doesn't matter. And that's just fundamentally wrong. And by the way, for those of you on the left side of the aisle, it should bother you as well when any president tries to do this. There's, you know, it's we have a system of government and this idea of claiming that this executive power and trying to, when you can't get a policy through, say, okay, well, I, I don't care about the policy. I'm just, I don't care that I don't have the votes. I don't have the, care that I don't have the support. I've tried to do it the right way. I've tried to do it the lawful way. And now that I haven't been able to do that, I'm going to do it the other way. Now, a couple of people are asking an interesting question, which is, Jeff, if the Republicans retake control of the Senate and they take retake control of the House and Joe Biden were to go ahead and just decide that he was going to falsely declare a climate emergency in order to implement his policies without going through the legislature, would that be an impeachable, an impeachable offense? And I, I just I, I don't I hope we don't get into a point where if and when the Republicans take over authority, um, take over the, the Senate and the House after November, I don't want to spend the next two years with like investigations and with impeachment things. I want to concentrate on trying to get problems done. But but whether it's an impeachable offense or not, I, I think that's at least kind of a question if he were to, you know, do this. And the, the bottom line of all this is, I understand Biden is frustrated, and I understand maybe there's a lot of people who think, oh, you know, we we need to have this war on. We, you know, we 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 should we shouldn't be pumping you know get oil out of the ground, and we shouldn't be building pipelines, and isn't this terrible? But right now, at least, as expressed through elected representatives, there's not enough support to change that. 
And for the president to try to short-circuit it is fundamentally wrong. And the idea that we can just call it an emergency and we can pretend now that we're a king, we can't allow that to happen. We do not have kings in this country. And it's why I hope cooler heads prevail. And I think and I hope Joe Biden decides to back away from this. This is the same sort of thing that's going on when he talks about, you know, student loan relief. He You know, if if you want to get student loan relief, if you want to forgive, you know, a trillion dollars in student loan debt, well, put a bill in the House of Representatives, put a bill in the Senate, see if you can get it passed. You can't. So then, you know, knowing that the that the elected representatives won't go for it, what are you going to declare a student debt loan debt emergency and then try to wipe that off the books? We don't have kings, whether it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Joe Biden. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, yesterday, in 12 o'clock hour of the program, we had an extensive discussion about the, the situation that happened in that shopping mall just a little bit south of Indianapolis on Sunday. Everybody knows the story by now. You had a, a 20-year-old guy with a with a rifle walks into the the food court and starts shooting um two people dead as a result of his shots two people injured and and that's a horrible story but it would have been a lot worse but for the fact that there was a 22 year old guy who had a concealed carry permit who was in in the mall at the time saw how all this was going down and rather than running rather than hiding rather than waiting for the police to arrive he engaged the shooter and shot and killed him so it's one of these situations where here you have the good guy with the gun who saved countless lives there's no question about it and i my take yesterday was he should be reviewed as a hero. Now, unfortunately, some people can't see it like that because they're so obsessed with the idea of guns. Well, well, this is this is just absolutely terrible. Um, he, you know, the, the mall had a sign up that said no guns. You know, <laughs> he shouldn't have had it in there. Well, okay, it's not a crime unless he's asked to leave. That's another tweet about that. But but more importantly, he saved a whole bunch of of lives. And regardless about how you feel about concealed carry or things like that, can't you you put your your views aside enough to say, boy, it's lucky this guy was there, or lots of worse things would have, in fact, happened. And, and that's the point I made. And I heard from a couple people who disagreed, and they said, well, the, the problem is that, that, yes, in this particular case, he saved a bunch of lives, but he shouldn't have been in a position to do that. We, we shouldn't have had a situation where the shooter could get where he was. And, of course, the argument then comes back and says, you know, we, we, we need to start banning guns. And in particular, we need to start banning these military-style rifles. Now, if I, I, I watch, as, as a political observer, I watch races all across the, the country. But obviously, I focus more, since I live in Wisconsin, I focus more on the Wisconsin races. I will tell you this. Democratic candidates across the country, incumbent senators, and some running for office, as a general rule, have been reluctant to embrace uh, an, a quote-unquote assault rifle ban. 
and it might surprise you, but but trust me, that that's the case. Uh, generally speaking, when you hear a lot of Democrat candidates talk about it, they're, they're not talking about bans. What they're talking about is, well, we need to make it harder for you know people to get these type of firearms and that sort of stuff. That's that's the position actually that the leading Democrat senator uh, senatorial candidate Mandela Barnes takes. He doesn't call for a ban on assault rifles. He, he talks about again. It's sort of the, the typical, it's the kind of the playbook that's out there among Democratic candidates who, who don't want to go all the way for the assault weapon ban. Interestingly, in Wisconsin, the other three candidates running for the Democrat Senate nomination, they're, they're out there. They're saying, we think that you should ban assault rifles, assault weapons. We, we, we want to see a ban. Sarah Godlewski says that. Uh, Tom Nelson, the Appleton County Executive, says that. And Alex Lazary says that. Now, they don't necessarily make it cornerstones of their campaign, but those are the positions. Banning assault rifles. And the idea, I, I guess, if you want to tie it into what happened on Sunday, well, if you didn't have access to guns in general, but in a rifle in, in particular, you wouldn't have had a situation where the good Samaritan hero would have had to intervene in the first place. So the solution is, is I guess, banning guns. Now, I want to discuss this with you because here, here's just the raw numbers of this. Uh, the most recent estimates that I have seen, and this is well, this is as the story I'm looking at is is as of May, there are approximately 20 million AR-style weapons, and this is the the military-style rifles. All right, whether they're AR-15s or something else, there are about 20 million AR-style rifles currently in circulation in the United States. 20 million, and they're part of a total of 393 million guns that are owned by U.S. civilians. All right, you've got three major Democratic Senate candidates who want to ban these weapons. Now, when they say ban, nobody in the media asks the follow-up question about what exactly does that mean? Do you want to ban purchases of new firearms or do you want to confiscate the guns that are already out there, require people to turn them in under penalty of law? And, and it seems to me, as a practical matter, if you want to get these guns off the street, that's what you have to do. You, you have to say, all right, this is, these, it's illegal. You're not going to be allowed to own these guns because otherwise you're going to have 20 million that are floating around and, and you're not, people will still be able to get access to them. Um, you're, you're going to have to actually affirmatively try to get them off the street. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let, let's tee this up. It is, of course, violence in our society is out of control. I've got the stories just on a daily basis. I, I pull the crime stories just out of Milwaukee. And these aren't, these aren't gun crimes with AR-15s necessarily, but mother of four gunned down in West Dallas Yard. Milwaukee shootings. Milwaukee police are investigating five separate shooting incidents that happened in the city on Monday afternoon and evening. 
Um, six persons wounded in five separate incidents. And as we always talk about on the show, you know, anytime you have a shooting, it's but for the, the grace of God that it's not a homicide. Man found shot several times on I-43 off-ramp in Milwaukee. All right, so they find a guy who's been shot multiple times. It's the, the violence is just incredible. The gun violence is incredible. The the bad guys aren't getting the memo that they're supposed to stop doing this. But you have some Senate candidates who are making a point of saying we want to ban a military style weapons. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is that a good idea? And is it practical? And what happens when we try to confiscate 20 million firearms of this nature? How are we going to do that as a practical matter? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yes, it is. it would be refreshing if in one of these candidate debates, when you have one of these, for example, these Democratic Senate candidates in Wisconsin who says, I want to ban military-style weapons, you say, okay, well, what exactly does that mean? Do you want to mean that you can't buy anything new, or are you talking about confiscating the, the 20 million that are in private hands right now? And then explain to me how you're going to effectively do that. Are we going to have the police go door to door? Are we going to imprison otherwise law-abiding hunters, for example, who refuse to give up their firearms? And, and where are we going to put all those? And does that solve the problem? Here's a text. Jeff, banning assault rifles does absolutely nothing. Most crimes are committed by handguns. And, and that's absolutely true. You have these high-profile mass shootings, which are occurring with more regularity than any of us would like to see. But but most of the, the everyday crime, I went through that list of shootings, I am willing to bet just in the last you know 48 hours in Milwaukee, I'm willing to bet that 80%, if not all of them, were probably done with, with handguns. So, you know, are, are we... Are we not really grappling with the underlying problem? Are we supposed to, are we kind of putting, we're like, okay, we, we want to do something here. We want to ban those assault rifles, and we're going to concentrate on getting them off the streets. Is that really going to make the streets in a material way any safer? 855 But again, I raised the question, explain to me how you're going to do that. I mean, real, really, are, are we going to now have our, our whole special department? We're going to, like, triple, quadruple, quintuple the number of ATF agents, and we're going to have people go door-to-door demanding that people turn in their military-style rifles? Really? Um, let's start with Travis in Plymouth. Hi, Travis. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Uh, um, so, like I was telling the screener, um, I actually own one of these style of weapons, and when I bought mine, it was private party. Um, unlike handguns, there's no registry. You don't have to fill out a form, go through a background check to own one of these weapons. You just have to be of legal age. Um, there's there's no list. There's no way for them to say, okay, Joe Blow from whatever town has one. Let's go to his address, knock on his door. There's no list that tells who, who for them to go to to confiscate these weapons. And then even if they do go to the guy that happens to have it registered um, and he sold it, if he didn't keep good records, there's there's no way to tell who has one in their possession. So mm-hmm. to go and confiscate them, it, it's just going to be a waste of resources, really. Well, yeah. And what's the and, and what's the overall purpose of, of doing that? And you know, somebody was, uh, the, the estimate is that that gun deaths caused by these type of firearms account for about 
maybe 3% of all the gun deaths like in, in the country. I mean, it, it seems to me that you're, you're kind of spinning your wheels on this stuff. I mean, aren't there bigger pictures that, that are out there? But nobody asks the, these questions. How are you going to do it? At the end of the day, what is it going to accomplish? And can you even do it when you're talking about 20 million guns right now that are in private hands? Now, thanks for call, Travis. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, and one of the things, there's a number of studies that are out that you know we we had that we had the 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 quote unquote ban on the sale of of AR of military style weapons back in the 90s for a couple of years. A lot of studies suggest that that didn't do anything with regard to to crime. That it was again one of these kind of feel good measures that at the end of the day really didn't make any difference at all. Eric in Oconomowoc. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks, Jeff. For me, this is all about um, our mental health problem. And it's, it's, it's a popular view, maybe not as popular as taking gun rights away, but um, we have to address the mental health issue. This is a gun is a tool. Number one, it's a Second Amendment right, right? The founding fathers want us to have these weapons, not because it's very popular to say, well, it's because you're a hunter. No, we're, the Second Amendment was about protecting citizens from potentially a tyrannical government. So it, it, they're trying to ignore that. So I think any type of action is just further whittling, you know, our right to own a weapon. So it's mental health. I mean, look what happened in Waukesha, right? A guy mowed down and killed how many people with a vehicle? Mm-hmm. Are we yeah. going after vehicles? No, we're not going after vehicles. We can't do that. It's a tool. People, we have we have a... We have a mental health issue. We have really overall, in my opinion, over decades, we've got a, a, a really just decay of, of really morals and what people, you know, value in life. And, and that really is the issue. We need to put more money toward helping people, identifying people and just getting them better. That, that's the real issue for me. Right. No, thanks. And 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 concentrating on keeping firearms out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them, whether they're felons who aren't legally allowed to possess firearms or whether they're mentally ill people. I mean, you go back and you look at a, a lot of these, these these mass shootings just over the last year, and, and it's apparent. You know, I understand hindsight's twenty twenty, but you look and you say, okay, you know, are we, are we really surprised that this guy did this when you look at the background? That's where we need to do a better job because – Again, you okay? Let's say, let's say you're, you're somehow able to magically wave a magic wand and remove every one of these rifles, these twenty million rifles. Get them out of society. It's no more. All right. Well, okay. Then, then what's going to happen is the the guy who wants to be the mass shooter is he's going to walk into the the food court and he's going to have a semi-automatic pistol with a whole bunch of you know magazines and and, and he's going to engage in shooting. Now, maybe he's not going to be able. To, maybe he'll only be able to kill 12 people instead of 14 or 15 or whatever. I don't mean to mock this, but but that's that's just kind of the reality of what we're there. So you know, somebody was saying, well, what would you do? Well, first of all, I agree with you completely on the whole mental illness issue. Secondly, I, I think it is very, very important to have in enforcement. And that is, you know, when, when people are not allowed to carry firearms, we need to come down on them like a ton of bricks. When you find the felon in possession of the gun, when you find the person who's on that list not allowed to purchase guns, and they do, come down on them. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Joe. Hi, John. Um, I could do as much with I, I could do as much with a Glock as I could with with a, with, with an AR, and I do have an AR, but I'm not going to let nobody take my gun. You want my gun? I paid almost nine hundred for it. 
give me double or triple. You know, maybe I think about giving it up, but give it up for free? No way. You know, I'm a law-abiding citizen, you know, and uh, taxpayer. I'm not going to give up my, my, my hobby. Right. I, I go to the range twice, you know, twice a month. You know, we some of the friends, we meet up there, and, and we kind of, like, bet each other, well, oh, who's, who's going to be the winner? Who's going to hit the head? I'm not doing that to shoot no person. I couldn't even shoot a deer. I don't right. know who hunting. That's just a hobby I've been had for 50 years. But I got all kind of guns. Right. Well, exactly. No, thanks to culture. And that, that's, see, that, that's, again, that, that's part of the problem. If you have that dangerously mentally ill person who's decided that they want to, again, behave in that fashion, yeah, I, I understand having the, having the rifle, the assault rifle, I, I understand that has more capacity and you can probably cause more carnage, but there's still going to be a whole bunch of carnage. That's, and, unless you can figure out a way to just remove guns from American society, which is a practical matter, you're not going to be able to do i you know we, we have to figure other ways to end up dealing with this but again I, I go back to this we're going to be talking to ron johnson in about a half hour or so and i'm going to ask him how he feels about like assault rifle bans because this is one of the distinctions between at least three of the four people who are running to challenge him that i and i, I don't know what they mean i'm not sure they know what they mean when they say they want a, a ban on assault rifles do they want to go door to door and confiscate guns is that what they're talking about I have not heard the Sesame Street theme song in forever. So when, when it comes to Sesame Street characters, I want to be upfront with you. I'm going to quickly get out of my depth, but we, but that's not the purpose of the story I'm going to tell. Um, Rosita is a Muppet character on Sesame Street, and she's... Well, kind of, she, she's a Muppet character, and she's sort of a, it's green. She's a green character. She is fluent in both American English and Mexican Spanish. She is the first regular bilingual Muppet on the show. She comes from Mexico and likes to play the guitar. So that's, that is, that is Rosita. Now you might say, Jeff, why are we talking about a, a Muppet? All right, well, here's the deal. There in Phil in Philadelphia, right outside of Philadelphia, there is a theme. See, you learn new stuff every day. There is a theme park called Sesame Place, which is kind of located in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and, and it's a theme park. And they've got you know amusement park rides, and they've got you know water slides and things like that. And just like if you go to Disney World. You know, there's all the Disney characters that are roaming around. If you go to Sesame Place in Philadelphia, there are all sorts of Sesame Street characters um, roaming around. And at one point in time, apparently during the day, maybe more than once, but what they do is they do they do a parade. And so you have all the different Sesame Street characters that parade down, or you have people that line up on both sides of the, the street, and they cheer the Sesame Street characters uh, along. Just like you know, Disney does their their parade. If you want to see this incident, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've got a a link to this, but it's created. There has now been a a huge issue about this. So what's going on is you have at the parade um, there there are. There's people on both sides of, of the street. This happened over the weekend. And this video is taken by the, the girl's mother. 
there are two little black girls who, you know, they, they have like their Muppet backpacks and stuff, and they're standing kind of in the street in, in the parade, and they see these different characters who are, are walking down the, the street. One of the characters that's walking down the street is, well, I'm, I'm going to read you the way this is described in USA Today. Um, Sesame Place, a children's amusement park in Philadelphia, issued a public apology and an explanation Sunday after video surfaced of a costume performer ignoring two black children. A video that prompted backlash suggested the, su- suggesting the shunning was racially motivated. The parent posted a video of her two daughters that showed Sesame Street character Rosita walk towards and visibly dismiss the girls, leading to their confusion and sadness. Um, Somebody immediately posted, this is disgusting. The person blatantly told our kids no and then proceeded to hug the little white girl next to us. Then when I went to complain about it, they were looking at me like I am crazy. And, of course, once this went out there, you had all these Hollywood types that weighed in as well, talking about, you know, what do you mean that they, they ignored these these two kids? Well, I, I've watched the video a couple times, and what what happens is it, it, it's true. You have this, this character that's walking down the street, and the character, at least in the little video clip you see, there is high-fiving some of the people on the road, not not everybody, but high-fiving some. And the, the character is also kind of waving no, in some respects, to the crowd. And so, and, and the character does walk by these, these two little girls. All right, in a public statement, Sesame Place says the incident was a misunderstanding and that the fa- staff had been in contact with the family to offer a meet and greet. Um, they say, look, um, the incident... The performer portraying the Rosita character has confirmed that the no hand gesture seen several times in the video was not directed to any specific person. Rather, it was a response to multiple requests from someone in the crowd who asked Rosita to hold their child for a photo, which is not permitted. The Rosita performer did not intentionally ignore the girls and is devastated about the misunderstanding. Now, they also go on to explain that if you were in the these costumes, you know, whether you know, you're, you're wearing the, and it is, I, I hate to disappoint people, but it is, it is a Rosita con, uh, costume. What they're saying is that what happens is these, these costumes that they wear make it difficult for the performers to see at, at lower levels. Um, and, and sometimes they say our performers, you know, miss hug requests from, from guests. So what they're saying is, look, this, this, this wasn't a, a, a performer who intentionally ignored the kids, and it wasn't somebody who decided to bypass them because these were two black kids. It was just, you know, somebody who's walking down the street. And, yes, they, they did walk past, and it might be that they didn't even see them because of the way the, these headdresses are set up and all. But, you know, they say that this, this wasn't racism. If anything, they're really sorry that this ended up happening. If anything, it was just an omission on the person who was in one of these big suits. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, you know, th- this, of course, has not satisfied some people. Looking at uh, Kelly Rowland, who is a singer from Destiny's Child, who said, these gorgeous girls will never forget that feeling. They are kids. You should be ashamed of yourself for that pathetic statement. 
um, that is directed at, of course, the people from Sesame Place. This just made me so mad. Are you serious? You're not going to speak to my child? And and again, I, I understand that people are kind of upset, but I guess my point is, is this something... Is, is this something that screams racism or is it might be just, you know, what it is that you've got the, the performer who just doesn't see the kids or misses the kids because of the way they're looking or, you know, is just trying to catch up with, with everybody and move along the parade? Does it always have to be racism? And is it fair to jump to that conclusion? Because we don't we don't consider the fact that, oh, you had this performer that, that should have high five the two kids. But it's the performer didn't high-five the two kids because they were black. And that's the connection that I'm having trouble making. 855-616-1620. We discuss. And if you want to see the video again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link up there. But it's actually it's making the rounds of the Internet. Ben Crump, the lawyer credited with winning the family of George Floyd, the record $27 million civil settlement from the city of Minneapolis, um, weighed in, writing, this is actually absolutely heartbreaking. These two young queens, capital Q and Queens, did not deserve to be blatantly singled out and ignored by this Sesame Street character. Sesame Street must address their staff's disgusting behavior. Apparently, the story I'm looking at, the family is also considering hiring a lawyer to sue. All right, right, the Muppet character in the parade did walk past the kids. There's no question uh, about that. But why do we assume that it's it's racism? Um, it's, is there evidence that they ignored other, you know, black children there? Or could it have been the character didn't see them? Could it have been the character, you know, couldn't stop to high five all the kids? Why do we have to assume that, that it's, it's racism? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Matt in McGuanago. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to say that I have walked in many parades, even in for the 4th of July, and I was in a outfit, a cow outfit, and to see, and you have no, you can't see really what's below you. So I'll admit, I went almost knocked over a kid once because they run up to you and you cannot see. So, I mean, you feel sorry for the kids because, yeah, they missed out on an opportunity to see these people that they've watched. But you right. know what? It happens. Yeah. Now, thanks for the perspective. I mean, I I have to tell you, I've on on one occasion. I, I hate to I hate to like pull back the curtain too much, but you know, th- those racing sausages they're they're not real. I mean, it's not really a chorizo that that runs or a polish. There there are people that are in those costumes, and once for kicks, I I put one of those things on, and they're very very top heavy. But you're exactly right. You're looking. Your eye line is out of like the mouth of the character, so. Your vision is very, very limited. Now, I, I guess I, should all right. Should the character have been maybe more aware? Should the person have been portraying that? Oh, okay, maybe. And I understand why the kids are a little bit disappointed. But we go from zero to ninety in the space of a couple seconds. Where, gee, the, the character, the guy in the suit, didn't didn't high five these kids, so it automatically must be because he he's a racist. And Sesame Street bad place has disgusting behavior. It might be racism. You know, isn't the the real answer much more likely that hey, that he didn't see him or he 
Sunday was focused on something else. Jeff, I had, here's a text, I had the misfortune of having to wear a costume similar to this one time. It is very difficult to see, which is why there is frequently an escort with the characters. This is just nonsense. I'm quite sure many white children were passed by as as well. Why, well, I, I guess, you know, that's... That's what the, the question would be. Jeff, it's amazing how the term benefit of the doubt has been replaced by it, it's all about me. It, it's a sad sort of world. Jeff, why does everything have to be about race? Society has become so hypersensitive to race, rather than looking at the person for their character, compassion, etc., it's appalling on so many levels. Now, look, if, if you want to criticize Sesame Place, for the the Muppet character, you know, not stopping and high fiving the, these little girls, I, I guess that, that's a fair that's a fair comparison. But again, my issue is, oh, it had to be because they were little black girls, and, and so you raise this to an entirely different level. You know, is there any evidence that you know this particular character or at Sesame Place they they didn't high five or do things you know consistently? Jeff, um, all of my kids worked at Disney World when they were in college. They say it is extremely difficult to sue to see in those character suits. So the characters in costume are assigned handlers so they don't run into things. Well, well, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea that's there. If you ever see the the racing sausages. And again, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I've burst people's bubble and I tell you that there's there's people that are in there. You know, when, when they're out in public, they typically have somebody with them to help navigate around because it's difficult to see you know what's going on um jeff why are people getting so uptight that it's not racism um i'm not sure exactly what that means i guess my question is when you play the race card that adds a whole different level into to this and i think it is very important in our society today that when you see racist behavior it needs to be condemned it needs to be called out it needs to be corrected it needs to be punished but at the same time when it's just okay you've got this muppet character who's walking down the street and you know doesn't see the kids or or whatever even though they're right beneath him doesn't see the kids all right to, to automatically assume that has to be because it's it's racism. Um, Jeff, I'm sure that there were tons of kids of all colors that did not get a high five. Um, such such is life. Also, do you know the race of the wearer of the character costume? I, I don't. Um, I, I don't off the top of, you know, my head here. But, um, Jeff, this is another text. This is another case of an individual being habitually offended. They don't know the character of the individual costume, and they have certainly have no idea of the restrictions of a person walking in that costume. Um, Sesame Place isn't racist. Muppet characters aren't racist. People need to relax. Jeff, I was a programmer for Time Warner, and I wore a Snoopy costume once in a parade. The costume stunk, and I struggled to see out of it as well. Yeah, I, I think you know that's kind of the reality of what goes on there. Now, I understand there's some people that, that just automatically assume this had to be the case, and the guy had to have this evil intent, and he had to single out these cute children and pass them by because they were black. If that is your worldview, I feel genuinely sorry for you, because that, that's an awful way to go through life, just automatically assuming that, you know, everybody 
everybody is out there trying to discriminate against people, and I, I, I just I feel genuinely sorry if that's your interpretation. Now it might be more evidence comes out. Might be that this particular character has a history. This particular reformer of ignoring. You know, um, Hispanic children or black children or, or whatever. Or, okay, well, if that's the case, then we'll rethink this. But just because they walk past these two kids to automatically assume it must have been because of their race, I think is a sad commentary. The candidates are set and the race to challenge Governor Tony Evers is on. Join us this Sunday night at 6 for the Republican gubernatorial debate moderated by TMJ4 News' Charles Benson and Shannon Sims. Hear from Tim Michaels, Rebecca Clayfish, and Tim Rantham. That's this Sunday night at 6 on News Radio WTMJ. I, I wanted to offer just a, a comment on a breaking local story. Um, and, and it's, it's one of these things about, wow, how, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, Shantia Lewis, who was an alderman, kind of represented the Northridge area. She was elected in 2016 to the Common Council, reelected handily in 2020. Air Force veteran, Alverno College graduate. She was an ordained minister. Um, she was viewed as a rising star in local and potentially state democratic politics. She actually toyed with the idea of running for U.S. Senate. This year, well, his her career is completely, totally crashed and burned. She um, was removed from office after pleading guilty to you know felony charges. And and long story short, um, what what she acknowledged doing essentially is, is what I'm going to call double dipping. She would um, reimburse herself for like travel expenses. Um, out of her campaign account, and then she'd also build the city for the same travel. It's just, it wasn't really big money, I think kind of in the nature of like $20,000 or stuff, which makes it all the more disappointing that you you have this very, very promising political career, and and you throw it away with, with, for, for being corrupt, but also for doing it in such a fashion. I mean, it's it's not even like you're making millions of dollars. I mean, you're 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 stealing relatively. And I see you stealing. You're just you're not allowed to do what it was that she ended up doing. But she, you know, had to take a felony conviction, and now her political career, um, which was, years ago was very very bright, is now pretty much over. It's really um, it's again, it's one of these stories about how how quickly things can turn. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I think I can say without fear of contradiction that in this November Senate race, there is probably not going to be a more distinct choice between candidates than than voters of Wisconsin would be presented, that is, regardless of whoever the Democratic nominee for Senate is, and their challenge to uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. And right now we are joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, hope you're doing well. I am. I am doing well. Let's let's talk about a number of things. Um, one of the things that is not doing so well, Senator, is is the economy, in, in particular inflation. You know, what do you think of some of the latest numbers and what's going on? Well, I was really hoping that we had peaked at the eight point six percent, came down for a month, maybe two months, and then we shot back up to nine point one percent. Jeff, I've been predicting. Uh, we're certainly concerned about not only inflation, but stagflation, uh, really since early last year when Democrats passed their 100% partisan $1.9 trillion COVID relief package when we had 
more than a trillion dollars left over from the previous COVID relief packages. Uh, Seven hundred billion of that wasn't going to be spent till the out years, so it clearly wasn't COVID relief. It was just going to be inflationary, and it's proven to be inflationary. You throw on top of that uh, the Democrat war on fossil fuels. You know, the first shot across the bow, and that was the cancellation of Keystone XL pipeline. But uh, Vice President or President Biden and, and his allies, his enablers, are making it very difficult to, to drill on on federal lands, uh, get permits, uh, lawsuits. Again, they 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 purposefully want to drive up the cost of fossil fuels quite honestly put fossil fuel drills out of business uh, so that obviously increases the price of energy it's reduced to record gasoline prices so high energy costs record gasoline prices out of control deficit spending way too many dollars chasing even fewer goods because a lot of the spending is making it possible for Americans Wisconsinites uh, not to re-enter the workforce, so factories can't hire enough people, so they can't even meet the demand for their goods, so you have even fewer goods. So I call that the triple whammy, and it just didn't happen. I mean, this is caused by Biden and Democratic policies and governance. Uh, and it's a shame because it's, inflation hurts the very people that Democrats purport to want to represent. These on fixed incomes, people at the lower end of the economic spectrum. And it's a, inflation is a tax on everybody. Is the Democrat tax on everybody, but it is particularly regressive and really hurts uh, those uh, constituencies. Senator, one of the things that at least the Washington Post is reporting this week is that President Biden, having failed to get his climate agenda through the the Senate because there's not enough votes, is now considering declaring a, a climate emergency and then apparently going to use fiat to implement a number of things that he can't get through legislatively. What do you think about that, if it happens? That would be terrible. Uh, I think we already have ceded way too much constitutional authority out of Congress to the executive branch, and presidents are happy to gobble up even more and more power. So I think this would be a, a naked power grab. Uh, again, it'd do great harm to our economy, it'd do great harm to uh, uh, Wisconsinites and Americans as well. So I, I hope and pray he doesn't do it. Senator, I know you, uh, you, you've you been following matters at the border very, very closely. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we, I went down there with uh, six of my Republican colleagues. I've made, as chairman of Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee, I've made multiple trips to the border. I always learn something new. I, I wish I could adequately convey to your listeners, Jeff, just how profoundly disturbing it is to just be there. You know, you see the pictures, you hear the stats, uh, 3.7 million encounters at the border. They don't even call them apprehensions anymore. It's just encounters. They're getting so fast at processing and dispersing. Uh, you know, that's over 6,000 people per day. Uh, last four months, it's been over 7,000 people per day on average. So it's, it's an enormous uh, problem. But, I mean, those are the numbers. You see the pictures. But when you're down there on the border, you know, but we, we got out there about midnight on Thursday night and immediately started running into uh, illegal immigrants, so one, one smaller group with uh, some children in it. Uh, there was one six-year-old and seven-year-old little girl. They were unaccompanied. Uh, all they had was a little plastic baggie with their birth certificate and a card with a phone number and an address, not even a name. Uh, they lose that, they, they're lost. They, they have no connection to anybody here in the States. Uh, can you imagine turning over your six- or seven-year-old little girl, your little granddaughter or something, to human traffickers, some of the most evil people on the planet? Then we were told by, by the Fox News reporter that uh, – not too long ago, in the very same spot, two little girls about the same age 
were being treated by Customs and Border Protection, protection because they were brutally raped. We were, we were told of, and I heard three different names for these types of trees, uh, either the, the rape tree, the panty tree, or the taunting tree. And, and what happens is the human traffickers will you know, sexually assault one of their victims, and then they'll hang their panties on the tree just to taunt Customs Border Protection, saying that, you know, they, they can do this with impunity. There, there's nothing you can do to stop us. So, so those are the human depredations caused by President Biden's open borders. And, of course, he knows it. I mean, Kamala Harris was on my committee. She heard that the, they sell children for $84. How, how do you think young women pay off their human trafficking fee of five to $8,000? They, they, get, they get put into the sex trade business. So, I mean, the human depredations of the illegal flows are horrific. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the potential people coming in uh, in terms of gangs, uh, the threat to national security, the uncontrolled flow of not only illegal immigrants, but also deadly drugs, 107,000 overdoses last year. Um, it's all caused, again, this was caused. This is, Joe Biden is just unlucky. He caused this. We pretty well have the, the border secured. We shut down the flow of unaccompanied children, shut down the flow of the family units exploiting our, our asylum laws, and then he blew that all up. He dismantled all those successful programs, and now we have this complete out-of-control, open-border situation. Senator, one of the, the stories over the last couple of days was another one of these potential mass shooters walks into a shopping mall outside of Indianapolis with a, a rifle and kills a couple people, but he himself is then killed by somebody who, who's carrying a, a handgun legally and, and is allowed to stop this. Um, three of the four, at least three of the four people who are, are running to be your challenger have called for a, a ban on assault weapons. And I, I don't know if that means confiscation of existing weapons or just simply you know, a return to the law in the 1990s. But where do you stand on that issue? Well, you take a look at the, the facts, and in the 90s, it didn't do anything to crime. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting the way the mainstream media is not covering that mall shooting because it was averted by somebody who had concealed carry, a, 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 good, a good Samaritan citizen that, that ended that tragedy. Now, one of the things I've been talking about is the, the very large mass murder that occurred on the southern border didn't involve a gun at all. So 53 people were, were murdered by human traffickers, three of them were children because of President Biden's open border policy. So, again, until, until we actually start enforcing the gun laws that we already have, I, mean, I don't see any uh, benefit to passing new laws. Senator, we uh, haven't spoken since the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade. I, I know that there is some push, particularly among, for example, some of the people who are challenging you, to to use a legis- a federal legislative response to Roe versus Wade, which would essentially codify Roe versus Wade in federal law. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, I think the Supreme Court decision was correctly decided. I think the Roe v. Wade decision and then the, the follow-on decisions just delayed the very necessary discussion that we needed to have for 50 years. And the, the discussion, I hope it can be done with sympathy and compassion, uh, but the question that we need to decide is is pretty basic one. At what point does society have the responsibility to protect life? And that, that's the question that's on the table. I, I don't think 535 members of Congress can decide that for every American either. It's not going to solve the problem. What we need to do is send this back to the states and then through a democratic process. And it will probably take you know months, years, maybe multiple elections for people in the states to 
come up with a consensus. There will be a patchwork of uh, different laws. You know, my, my guess is, if you look to Europe, that has a similar situation. They're not states, they're nations. Uh, far more restrictive uh, laws in terms of protecting life than what we have even under Roe v. Wade. So I think when people look at the facts and they take a look at, you know, what a what a little, you know, 15-month-week-old baby uh, is, uh, what what that 15-month-old or 15-week-old baby can uh, feel and that type of thing, uh, my, my guess is people will, the consensus will be to protect life probably a little bit sooner than, than later. But, again, I I'm, think we have to leave that up to uh, individuals, the American people, on a state-by-state basis, and, and let's, let's process play out. I, I don't want to circumvent that at this point in time by trying to pass some law here in Congress, which, by the way, is not going to be possible. I don't, I don't think there's going to be any consensus here in, mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. So let's, let's let the states decide. That's, the, the, that's, that's what we should have allowed to happen 50 years ago, and this would not be such a, a divisive issue. Senator, what, um, what do you think about the work of the January 6th committee? Well, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's highly partisan. Uh, it's not asking some of the questions I was asking immediately after January 6th, which was, where was the security? Um, yeah, I, I've, I've written numerous oversight letters to Capitol Police. They've answered some of them. You know, try, try to get to the sergeant at arms and the people responsible for security to answer them. I have not got responses from them. But it's just not its not asking all the questions that are on the minds of the American public. It's, it's a very partisan uh, affair. They, they, they smeared me, which I was not did not appreciate. Uh, so they, they haven't done the due diligence. It's uh, just a partisan exercise. And so if you uh, if you're you know if you're on one side of the aisle, you're probably paying attention to it. If you're on the other side of the aisle, you're probably not paying attention to it. Well, to that point, Senator, let, let me ask you specifically because I, I have a, a number of people who are on the other side of the political aisle who are saying, "Well, you know, what 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 is what was Senator Johnson's role in that fake elector scheme?" And I assume that's what you're referring to when when we're yeah. talking about smearing you. So let, let me just flat out ask it: Why do you consider that a smear, and what happened? Because they, they they took something and turned into like a big mountain. It's a big nothing burger. My, my involvement, uh, first of all, I had no involvement in the creation of those electors. I had no idea that my staff would be asked to uh, deliver those electors to the vice president. My involvement, uh, I think there were three texts that I received and read, very short ones, two that I texted out. My total involvement lasted, I don't know, 60 seconds. Uh, the total involvement in my office spanned 70 minutes. So, again, I, I wasn't involved at all. This was uh, came from Congressman Mike Kelly's office. That's now been verified. That's true. He denied that falsely. Uh, so, you know, we, we were, because I was a senator, I could have potentially gotten something to the vice president. But, again, we were involved for less, you know, a total time period of 70 minutes. But my own involvement uh, could be measured in seconds, 60 to 120 seconds. That's it. One, two minutes. So they may sound like I'm part of some vast conspiracy on this thing. I couldn't even remember it, basically. You know, that's, that's why it took a while for us to gather the facts and get the text and lay out exactly what happened. I mean, we, we weren't even sure who even called contact us on this thing. We, you know, again, it was, just, it was just such a non-event uh, uh, on the day of, of January 6th. Couldn't even remember the details. We finally got the details. My statement was absolutely true that I issued immediately saying I had no involvement in it, had no idea that I was going to 
be asked to deliver these. In, in the end, we didn't deliver them. No. End of story. Senator, um, when you're back here in Wisconsin on, on the campaign trail or, or fielding constituent calls, what, what's the number one issue you hear? What, what is most important to the voters that you're talking to, at least in Wisconsin? Inflation, record gasoline prices. I mean, there's nothing even close. Uh, th- this is really hurting people. And again, Jeff, I have to point out, it didn't just happen. The inflation and record gasoline prices, this was caused by really bad policy. And it's really bad policy promoted by President Biden and his enablers in Congress. Uh, they want high energy prices. They, they, they have this green energy fantasy that they can power the American economy, the world economy with green energy. We can't. Now, I'm, I'm all for an all of the above energy policy, but it has to be based on reality. I, I don't want to be taking wind and solar energy and dramatically increasing people's costs as well as make the electrical grid grossly unreliable. I think we, we saw that in Texas when they had the record cold temperatures. I mean, we came really close to just completely shutting down their grid for a very long period of time. We, we really averted disaster there. So, uh, again, people people would like to go back to low inflation and reasonable energy prices. They'd like to get out of their lives after the pandemic, but President Biden just screwed everything up. Senator Johnson, thanks so much for spending some time with me this afternoon. Hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again in the near future. Have a great day. Stay well. Absolutely. That's Senator Ron Johnson. I will say this. I think regardless of who emerges from the Democratic primary on August 9th, you are going to have one of the most stark differences. And Wisconsin voters are going to make that choice because all four of the main candidates running for the Democratic Senate nomination are way, 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 way to the left of where Joe Biden is. I mean, again, we're, we're talking about like the federal abortion law and banning assault weapons and pretty much open borders. And one of them, you know, Tom Nelson, he, he wants to nationalize oil companies. My God, he wants to nationalize oil companies. And you know, I don't think he's going to end up winning the primary, but that's where these candidates are, way, way, way to the left. And I understand Ron Johnson is a polarizing factor, and there's people who just don't like him a- at all and just don't want to hear anything other than that. But it's going to be a real interesting policy choice that's out there, and I don't know that there's going to be a starker choice anywhere in the country Ron Johnson against whoever it is that emerges on August 9th from the Democratic Senate primary. Going to be interesting to see. Looking for your next great career? This Saturday morning at 6, tune into Hired, the Good Karma Brands recruitment show. We'll showcase the best positions available within our company and other companies around Southeast Wisconsin. This week, we feature two great area restaurants, Fox and Hounds and the Mineshaft. It's Hired, the GKB recruitment show, this Saturday morning at 6. Anthony Fauci says that he is planning to retire sometime before the end of the Biden administration. So that would be the first term. So he's planning to be gone by January of 2025 at the latest. He's 81 years old. And and again, I don't I don't want to turn this into a discussion of, you know, uh, of what did Fauci? I don't know. um, Was he a positive force? Did he end up being a negative force? Was he overexposed or things like that? It's just he's 81 years old. And at some point in time, 
and I've, I've argued this with politicians, Republicans and Democrats, at some point in time, you know, you need to know when to step off the stage. And I don't know when that particularly is, but he's 81 years old, and he says that um, he'd almost, almost certainly retire by 2025. That's not his official announcement, but I, I appreciate it. You can think Anthony Fauci is the most brilliant person in the world, and he deserves a Medal of Freedom and all that, and, and that's fine. I'm just kind of like, he, he's 81. What What's the point if... Can't, can't you find some other people that are out there that are perhaps younger with as much, if not more energy, um, who bring kind of a new perspective to things? And isn't there a value in that? And I understand Fauci's a controversial figure. And I personally, I don't think he's either a, as much of a hero as some portray him as. And I don't think he's as much of a villain as others portray him as. I, I think my, my biggest objection, I've said this before, is during the pandemic, I, I think he got overexposed. I think he kind of fell in love with being on TV and radio and things like that. And and instead of recognizing that less is more, he, he just he said yes to everything. And what would happen is he would end up contradicting him himself. You know, he, he'd say something on Sunday and then Tuesday he'd say something different and then Friday he'd say something different. And you tried he would try to explain it away by saying, well, the, the science changes. Well, yeah, it does. But the science doesn't change just on three days, every three days. And I think he would have been much, much smarter had he confined his public appearances and, and not felt this desire to answer every TV request for interviews, because like I say, I think he ended up you know, providing contradictory information, which I think helped undermine the message he was trying to put, put out there. And I, I think if I had been advising him, it would be, you don't have to say yes to every interview. And, and maybe, you know, you don't have to be on, on Meet the Press or ABC News this week. You don't have to do every Sunday morning talk show every week. That would have been my advice. But Fauci says he will be gone in the next three years. All right. I want to completely and totally switch gears. We've been talking about some of the heavier stuff that is out there. Uh, if you, well, if you are of a certain age, you know when you grew up watching television. For example, if like me, you grew up around here, your, your choice is you, you didn't have cable TV. I actually grew up before there was cable TV. I did. And your, your choices were there were over-the-air channels. There was channel 4 and 6 and 12. And there were two UHF channels, 18 and 24. And then there were a couple of the public broadcasting stations, 10 and 36. And that was it. Th- those were your entire choices. And then... We, we had like video recorders and you had VCR and you had Betamax where you could actually like go rent movies. So you, you didn't have to wait to see, gee, is a movie going to be on, you know, ABC on Sunday night? You know, you could actually go rent that, that movie. So our entertainment choices started to broaden. Then, of course, you had cable TV came in, come in and, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world. You've got cable TV and you've got all these different channels that are out there. And if you're like me, my guess is you can have all these channels that are there, but you, there's probably only a handful of those channels that you you end up watching and of course then after cable tv the next latest greatest thing has been streaming services and you all know how that works we have more people that are saying hey i don't even need to have like cable or satellite dish anymore all i need is i've got my my home internet and i i'm going to just have a streaming service and that's everything I need. So um, maybe my streaming service, maybe it's going to be Netflix because they've got all these different things out there. Maybe it's going to be, well, fill in the blank. Maybe it's going to be Amazon Prime. Maybe it's going to be Peacock. Maybe it's going to be Discovery Plus, whatever. And 
So that's how we're now getting our entertainment. And with all the different streaming services out there, I think, first of all, if you can't find something to watch somewhere, you're, you're, you know, you, you're, you're not trying hard enough. And then there's all the choices about the new content that are being out there, all the different shows. Hey, I've heard Ted Lasso is pretty good. Well, you need to have Apple TV to watch that. Or I, I want to see this new eight-part thing that they've got um, on uh, Tommy, Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. Well, I want to see that. Well, then you need Hulu for that. Or, you know, you want to see the latest Marvel movies. Well, then you need, or the Star Wars stuff. You, you got to have, you know, Disney Plus for that. So it, it's a challenge as to what people are, are going to watch. Story in the Wall Street Journal that I found to be really fascinating. Okay, Hulu, which is one of the streaming services, Right, and Hulu is owned by the Disney company, so Hulu is one of the streaming company uh, services that are offered. Of course, the the flagship of those streaming services is is Disney Plus, right? Which you know, you if you have Disney Plus, you've got access to the Pixar movies, you've got access to the um, Marvel movies, you've got access to the the Disney movies and you've got access to all the star wars stuff so disney plus has kind of been the flagship of the disney streaming service well the numbers are out i find it fascinating hulu has emerged as the fastest growing u.s streaming service um new subscriptions to hulu have outpaced those of disney's flagships flagship streaming platform disney plus in 18 of the past 24 months and total new subscriptions to hulu have exceeded those to disney plus in each of the last six quarters which is almost i mean it's staggering to me given that the disney brand and you think okay it's, it's got disney and it's got marvel and it's got star wars and it's got pixar and yet hulu which is still a streaming service that maybe a lot of people haven't found you know hulu is producing you know better results and bringing more people in all right our number is 855-616-1620 which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i i found i guess this to be interesting for many of us and my hand is in the air um i i have more than one streaming service and i i just i keep saying you know i i need to be I'm I'm embarrassed to admit to you how many streaming services that we have, but we we got them in because I I wanted to watch different things. I like to watch Premier League soccer, so you need Peacock to to do that if you want that. And there was stuff on Hulu, so we've got Hulu. And, yeah, I've got Disney+. And, yes, I have Netflix, and I I have Amazon Prime, and there might be another Apple TV. We've got Apple TV as well. And if you're hearing this, you might say, oh, you know, Jeff, you know, remember Robert Williams' word, you know, maybe if you've got all these different streaming services, it is God's way of telling you you've got too much money. I, I, I accept that. But I and I'm going to at some point in time I'm going to sit down and be more critical and say which one of these can you can you dump? And it's easy to justify these multiple streaming services because you say, Ah, oh, that's only six bucks a month or that's only seven bucks a month. And well the truth is that that adds up over the course of a year or multiple years. But Hulu is doing really well. Here is my question to you. If you could only have or do only have one streaming service, which is that and why? Is it Disney? Is it Netflix? Is it Hulu? Is it Peacock? Is it Apple TV? 
what streaming service? I mean, HBO Max, I guess that's out there there too. And then there's Paramount Plus, and then there's Discovery Channel, and all, AMC Plus, all these different things. There's a myriad of choices. If you could only have one or do only have one, which is the one to go with and why? H55, 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Oh, you know, one of the streaming services that I neglected to mention, ESPN Plus, which um, is owned by Disney as well. And that's why they do do these bundles where you can get Disney and you can get Hulu and you can get Disney Plus all rolled into one. As a standalone, huh? ESPN Plus is going up. The cost is going to uh, rise later, late August, end of, the, end of next month. The monthly subscription cost for ESPN Plus, which I do not have, would rise from six ninety nine to nine ninety nine a month. In other words, it's going to go from seventy dollars annually to a hundred dollars annually. Huh? Interesting. So that's going to get more expensive. 855-616-1620. Jeff, for me, it's Amazon Prime. I think you get more bang for your buck. Jeff, my we only have Disney Plus. My husband is a big Star Wars fan. Me, not so much, but I still find things to watch there. I enjoyed Rising and the other movies. Um, Jeff, um, we have several streaming services as well. Each has its benefits. I would say Philo is pretty good and affordable. We cut the cord years ago and put up the antenna for local channels. Uh, Jeff, for me, YouTube TV is my streaming choice. It has the best channel choice just like cable it's less expensive and there is no contract yeah youtube tv is just kind of like the hulu tv it i I think it's youtube tv is i want to say it's like 70 bucks a month or something like that but it it clearly is an alternative to what i'm calling basic cable because it it gives you a, a choice of you know 50 60 70 uh stations that are out there including some sports stations as well jeff for me it's youtube tv as well because it has local channels cable news channels and a ton of other channels it's most like having cable it makes it easy for an old gal like me uh jeff uh, let's see um <laughs> hbo max for impractical jokers i have hbo max but only because i have hbo so you kind of um, get it jeff in my opinion hulu is the best streaming service for tv shows i removed my cable payments so hulu picks up the slack for that 20 to 30 minutes i'm looking to watch to kill time all right let's talk to jeff in fox point jeff good afternoon Hi, Jeff. If I could only have one, it would be Disney Plus because the Mandalorian, Boba Fett, and Kenobi series are all available on that one. And in my opinion, they're all saving Star Wars from the dreadful sequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, Disney Plus offer, offers a lot. I forget about that sometimes, but they do have all the Marvel movies that are out there. I watched the um, I watched the new Doctor Strange movie the other night that I, I didn't see it in theaters, and that was pretty good. And I, you know, they've got some of the interesting stories. They've got the you know, Pedro and Wanda and uh, Vision, Wanda Vision, and then they've got the Loki thing. So there's actually there is there is a lot, especially if you like that sort of stuff. There's a lot on Disney Plus. Yeah, I like the Hawkeye series yep. and the Falcon and the Snowman quite a bit on Disney Plus too. Yeah, uh, and right now I'm in sort of a dead spot from there where I don't have anything else to watch. So if I'd be allowed to, I would drop Disney Plus and I would go to Amazon Prime, and then I when di- there'd be cool stuff back on Disney Plus, I would drop Amazon and go back to Disney and kind of be fickle in that way. Well, no, Jeff. No, thanks for no. There, I mean, there's a lot of people that 
that do that. I was, I was talking about Hulu, and one of the things the story in the Wall Street Journal makes a point of is that the, the subscribers to Disney Plus tend to be more loyal. E- even though the Hulu subscribers are outpacing the Disney Plus subscribers, there's more of what I'm going to call a churn. You know, so what that tells me is maybe somebody signs up because you want to watch the you want to watch the thing on the 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 biopic on Pamela Anderson or um oh gosh it was the the one about the the gal that was responsible for the big scam with regarding like the blood testing stuff whose name is escaping me right at the moment who just got sentenced to, or is getting sentenced or just got sentenced to prison it it's it's those sort of things and what they'll find is that people will sign up because they want to watch you know those those shows and then once that show ends they'll they'll dump it and they'll go to something else it's interesting to me because we're getting a pretty good response on this and Nobody is mentioning um, Netflix, which, of course, is the, the granddaddy of the different streaming services. And I will admit is kind of my go to. That is, OK, there's there's nothing on regular broadcast TV or on the basic cable stuff, the cable stuff I've got. So, OK, we'll, we'll go to streaming. And I, I do acknowledge that my first my first thing is that let's go to Netflix and let's see what's what's on Netflix and um, nobody's mentioned Netflix thus far they're going through their own little struggle because they, they have been unlike some of the streaming services they have been ad free um, and now they're, they're starting to figure out okay we, we, we make more money if we open it up to ads and can we do that without losing our subscriber base so you're seeing more and more of that going there bottom line is for, for entertainment this really is a golden age and I, I think it, it's just so easy, and I find myself, I'm guilty of this, you know, getting drawn into this thing about, hey, you sign up for the service, and you think, well, maybe I'll cancel that later on down the line, and then you recognize, yeah, it's, that, what are these charges coming on my credit card every month, and it's, oh, because I've got all these different ones that are out there. But if you're looking for one that currently is, is hot right now, that would be Hulu.